I had a decision. I, I, I had two roads in front of me. One was, I'm not really good at this. I'm not strong. I'm going to go and back to running. Or the other road. This is the weakest I'm ever going to be. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How Do You Feel? and happy December. I had an awesome guest on the podcast this week, and I'm very much looking forward to sharing this episode. This week, I got the chance to speak with Chris Fudge. Chris is another instructor for DTS Fitness Education, and he has been a personal trainer and coach for 15 years. Chris has worked with clients with all different backgrounds from national record-holding powerlifters award-winning fitness models, university and professional athletes of many sports, to everyday office athletes who are seeking pain management. Chris has been awarded Personal Trainer of the Year across Canada twice. He has also personally won provincial and national powerlifting championships, and he represented Canada at the IPF World Powerlifting Championships in 2014. Chris is the only level seven trainer for Good Life Fitness in Canada. Because of his own experience in training in the sport of powerlifting, as well as all of the different kinds of clients that he has coached, Chris has so many valuable insights to share about training. And that's what really makes this episode special. Chris is honest about the mistakes that he's made along the way, but he's learned from all of them, and that's only made him a better athlete and coach. I think there's a lot that we can take away from this episode, whether you are a trainer, coach, or a fitness enthusiast. Okay, everyone, here is my conversation with Chris Fudge. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I am really excited to get the chance to speak with you today. So thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited myself. That's good news. Okay, since the podcast is called How Do You Feel? I always start off with a how do you feel question. So I feel like it's only appropriate to ask how you feel about how much fitness has shifted to a virtual and online arena in 2020. I think that is a great question. Um, the way I feel about it is I think a lot of us are, are actually very lucky that it, it is 2020 and this is happening. Mm-hmm. If this happened in 1990, fitness would be totally different. People would not have options. People would not be able to exercise mm-hmm. because it's happening now. You can log in and, and watch someone else work out and try to follow. You can hire an online coach who can say, what do you got for equipment? Okay, I got a chair, I got a basket of laundry, and I got a water balloon. You're like, okay, let's put something together. So because of a, where we are now, I think with technology, people can still be active, people can still be, be fit and work towards goals with people. So I, it's not great. It's definitely not great for mm-hmm. fitness professionals. Like we have to adjust and adapt. Mm-hmm. But for clients and people who want to get healthy and fit, that there is options for them to continue with that. 
That's so true. I didn't even think about that. We are so well equipped and like, thank God for Zoom, which we've been using for everything. But we're so well equipped to handle this right now and to be able to continue training. That's such a good point. I've worked worked with some clients that I mean, some of their workouts, they live in a condo, like in Toronto, like on the 40th floor. I'm like, great, we got steps. Yeah, we got a lot of stairs. I got some people, they've got no equipment. They're like, well, I don't know. I'm going to buy a treadmill. I said, you got a road in front of your house? They're like, yeah. I'm like, you don't, you don't need a treadmill. Let's start running, right? Like little things like that that cost nothing and can still still give them a chance to get healthy. Yeah, 100%. So you shifted a decent amount of training to online training because of this. Were you doing a lot of it beforehand as well? I was doing a, a good amount before, not, not pushing any of it, very much like people being referred to me. Like yeah. As soon as COVID hit, like the model had to, had to flip, absolutely. So then a lot of the one-on-one people I'd work with um, in session, they got flipped to the online model. And then I just opened up the business to new people as well. And then uh, I got full within, within a day, I pretty much said like, this is where I'm tapped where I can be efficient. Uh, And then I had to learn how to uh, like, just this this lifestyle is not my normal go-to, right? So I had to to change a few things in my own lifestyle to be able to do that. But I, I definitely have a little bit more empathy for the office athletes that I'll work with on a daily basis. Like they're more fit to handle this than me, which is kind of funny. I'm like, I don't know. I got to stretch. Yeah. Fair. What are the biggest things that you noticed that you had to change? Like that you did wrong in the beginning? The amount of duration at one time. Yeah. So I would book like calls with people and stuff. And I might just book, you know, eight in a row with 30 minute calls. That's a four hour time period. Mm-hmm. So then sitting for four hours straight, I was starting to be like, uh, and then this just wasn't comfortable. So I would do a couple on a walk. So I would just get up and oh, go smart. for a walk and I would tell them. I'd be like, I'm not going to look at you, but I can hear you Mm -hmm. and you can hear me and we can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So that was a no brainer. That worked out really well in the beginning, because it was still cold. It was the spring when this thing happened. I bought a, like a bike hookup to put your bike on and you can bike inside the house. Like people train with these things. And then I was able to actually have conversations with people and do my coaching while riding the bike. And I, because it was cold out some days I want to go for a walk. So I would ride my bike inside the house instead. So just small little, little things that weren't too, too difficult. But I, I realized quickly that I don't sit during the week. And mm-hmm. when I started sitting more, you know, I was feeling it in my body, even in my, my even in my body weight was changing a little bit. I said, like, <laughs> I, I got to do something. That makes total sense. It gives you a little bit more empathy for these people that are sitting at a desk from nine to five and beyond, right? You realize that you have to actively engineer it into your day and engineer it into your life if you're not just going to be stationary for eight hours a day. And when you were talking about in your habits course about the the time-restricted eating from the circadian Mm -hmm. code, well, that's when I read the book. I read the book early on in COVID and I'm like, I need to do some TRE because I'm not moving as much. So I started implementing that early on. It was an easy change for me. And I saw like my body weight going like this. And then as soon as I started doing that, I I saw it come back down. Makes total sense. And for everyone that's listening that might not know what Chris is referring to, he's talking about a book called The Circadian Code. And in that book, one of the main ideas is this idea of time-restricted eating. So limiting your eating to an eight or 10, maybe 12 hour eating window during the day. And it can have massive health benefits, also body composition benefits. Um, But it's something that you you can really look at as an easy way to make improvements with your nutrition and with your eating without changing what you're eating. It has nothing to do with what you're eating. It's all about when. So I love that um, as a, as an easy tool for people to use. 
I thought I found it super easy, but in the beginning, because I'm used to getting up in the morning, scarfing food, going to work, I would be like, I get up in the morning, like if I'm gonna eat at 5:30, now I want a short window. That means the family, we gotta have like dinner at four. Like that's not gonna work out. Right. So I just would like delay my breakfast. And for the first day, because it was such a habit to eat yeah. right away, it was tough. Yeah. Second day, 50% easier. Third day, no problem. It was wow. it was just crazy to see, like within like a three-day period my body had adjusted to be like, okay, you can eat a little bit later and you'll be okay. Incredible. That's quick. That's quite fast because our body ghrelin, which regulates our hunger does get on a rhythm. So whenever you're used to eating, you'll get those signals of I'm hungry. And I'm, I'm impressed with how, uh, how fast you're starting to switch. I think for some people it can take a little bit longer. I've, I've um, played with a handful of diets over the years. Like I've practiced different things. I found that sometimes there's a there's a little bit of a discipline or um, awareness when you know why. So if I'm cutting weight for a competition, I know why I'm hungry because I'm eating less yeah. and I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I knew this on purpose. I knew the effects. So I think my body's like, okay, you're going to be good a, l- a little sooner than, than, you know, like a five or seven day period by day three. I, w- I was fine. I was good to go. That's awesome. You said you're saying you've played around with different diets, mostly to adjust your weight for competitions or for other things as well. Uh, other things. I mean, at one point in time, I was single, so I always wanted to be like, "Hey, look, you know, want to look good, right? <laughs> you want to yeah. look good." And then, um, and then I, I snagged up Maggie, and then that was a no-brainer. So she she used to always make jokes that when we started dating, I was all like, you know, biceps and abs, and now I'm all <laughs> triceps and not abs. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, in the beginning, obviously, you want to look good. So, like anyone else, I would exercise for my for my appearance. So I'd practice a few different things there, and then I got into competing, and then I started competing in weight classes. Mm-hmm. And um, I've actually competed in six different weight classes in the sport. Now the, wow. the, the sport switched weight classes, you know, about six years into when I was competing. So mm-hmm. they had new ones. That allowed me to play with a few different ones. But fun fact for you, in the Canadian Powerlifting Union, I'm the only one that I know that's competed in six weight classes. Wow. So, so there's a fun fact. Crazy. I don't have any records, but I've got that. So I'll yeah, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. That's super interesting. Played around with it different nutrition and then would see test on myself and see how it works and I am a a personal trainer so uh, I advise with nutrition right I stay in my scope but if someone talks to me they want to ask questions about nutrition I always feel it's not a bad idea to say you know I've 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 done this I've felt this for me to work like this and I've got some really good people out here in Ottawa that when they when clients need specialty I just refer them over to them Awesome. Awesome. So important to have that network as well. People that you know, and you trust to be able to refer once, uh, once people want more in-depth coaching, I want to know more about your career in powerlifting. So what originally got you interested in the sport of powerlifting? When did that originate? My my intro to powerlifting is completely different than the average person. Okay. who has been powerlifting for a while. A lot of times you hear the same story. I was working out in the gym. Some guy comes up to me and says, hey, you're pretty strong. You should try powerlifting. So they were already lifting heavy weights and then someone would suggest it to them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't lifting heavy weights. I wasn't the strong guy where they're like, hey, you should power lift. At the time I was dating now my wife, which I also coached Maggie and she was a rugby player. We would coach, so I would train her for rugby. Mm-hmm. And then we were going through a strength phase and then she was the one lifting the big weights. And then someone's like, you should do powerlifting. <laughs> She's like, Chris, would you coach me through it? And I said, well, I, I don't know anything about it. I can't. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, like, let's just try it. Um, and I'll always identify myself as a coach first. 
I'll coach stage athletes, I'll coach clients, I'll coach runners, I'll coach power lifters. I, I, I'm a coach first. Mm-hmm. Everything else is kind of second. So I said, I've coached these other things before. I said, let's go into it with the same mentality. Yeah. So I said, I'll coach you first. And I would coach her and I would learn as much as I could from everyone around me. I would talk to their power lifters in the gym, um, read online. And then we pretty much just got her into meets. And then at meets, I was asking a lot of questions. Yeah. I'd go up to someone and be like, hey, you, you hold the bar like this. We hold it like why is that happening? They would explain things to me. And then I'd say, after a meet, we go back in the gym, Maggie, and I'd be like, Maggie, put your hands like this. And then she'd do something. I'd be like, that looks just more natural. Mm. And this was like 2008, nine. Like there wasn't all these tutorials that you could, you could learn about lifting. You learn from Westside Barbell and Powerlifting USA magazine. There, there wasn't anything else available. Mm-hmm. And then I kept going to these meets as Maggie's coach. And then multiple people, but one guy particularly always, every, he was always at the meets and he'd be like, Hey, Chris, when, uh, when are you going to lift? And I say, I, I don't, I don't lift. I just, I do the coach thing. Next time meet happens, I see him and he goes, when are you going to lift? I, say, I don't, I don't lift. And then one time he said it to me and I see, you know what? I think I'm going to lift. And I went home and I signed up for a competition like that night. Wow. And I was like, well, shit, I need to start training. <laughs> Cause I was doing like general fitness at the time. I wasn't really doing strength. So then I dove right in. I was all in to be a power lifter. So I started competing right then and there in my very first, uh, my very first competition. Uh, so many lessons were learned. And I think there was six people. There were six people in my weight class at the time. And I was there with the team that I, was, I, I would train with. And stuff. We had a team, a group of us. And, and Maggie was there. And pretty much everyone on the team got one, two, or three. Everyone got a medal. When you place as a team, you accumulate points for the team. And then at the okay. end of the competition, there's the best team award. Mm-hmm. So we won the best team award. We had the most points. It was pretty cool to get up there. It was a big trophy for everyone, for the, for the team. I was last place in my weight class. I came dead last. <laughs> so I literally accumulated a couple points, but they didn't even need my points to win. And I was up there and I was just like looking around. I was like, I didn't really do much to help the team. But I had one of these decisions right then and there. We've all go through these different times in our lives. I had a decision. I, I, I had two roads in front of me. One was... I'm not really good at this, you know, based on this one event and these six people, I'm the worst. I'm literally the worst of these six people here. This sport's not for me. I'm not strong. I'm going to go and back to running or the other road. And this is what I chose. Obviously this is the weakest I'm ever going to be. And every meet I do after this, I want to be better than this one. And I took that mindset. I'm just going to get better. I won't be this week again. So I started doing more competitions and I did in like my first year and a half, like 13 competitions. That's not smart, by the way, anyone listening, like you didn't, you shouldn't do that. But I did that to learn because every time I go to a meet, I would learn at least one thing new from talking to other more experienced, better skilled lifters. I was taking all this information in. Mm-hmm. And then over time I was able to take a little bit from you, a little bit from you, a little bit from you and kind of mend it into, you know, the way I would train and then how I would progress. And yeah. since then I've done um, 68 competitions. Wow. So I, I, I like exercising in front of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you think it was that made you take the road of, no, I'm sticking with this and this is the weakest that I will ever be. Like I'm ready to go for it. I, I had a lot of influence of, of who I was with at the time with Maggie. She mm-hmm. was the top lifter in Ontario. She was one of the top in the country. Um, she was just, just a boss of a lifter. So I had to 
like I had to hold my own first off. That was part <laughs> of it. <laughs> but secondary, like she was into it. So I was like, I'm going to be into it. And the better I could be as a lifter, it's only going to help her as an athlete. And then would also help any other people that I work with. And yeah. I've always been big on, on challenges and, and, and competition. And like, uh, you're not good at that. I'm like, bring it on. Like, let, yeah. let, let, let's go. I, I like that stuff. When I was younger, it was a little different. I would gravitate towards things I was always really good at. And I think everybody does that. Right. But I was uh, 25. I was an adult at that time. I said, well, that, this is different. Something I'm not very good at. Let's, let's dive in. Let's get better at it. Yeah. I love that. I think some people never do it. I think some people never lean into the things that they aren't good at, but when you do and you realize that you can make improvement over time and you realize the value of putting a lot of time into something, I think it's very powerful. I teach, I think it teaches you a lot about, the opportunity I think for growth, right? It just like opens your mind to be like, oh, actually I could do all of these things and now I just have to decide, right? Yeah, absolutely. And because it's a barbell, it's very black and white. There's mm -hmm. no sub subjectivity there. You either lifted it or you didn't. Right. So you could always, you could say, okay, I lifted X amount of weight at this competition. My next one is gonna be in, in eight weeks. What am I gonna do from now until eight weeks? So then you, you put together your training, you do it, and then you reassess. That's the next competition. Did you lift more or not? If you did not, then what you were doing wasn't ideal. If you lifted more, what you were doing was ideal. Mm -hmm. So do it again and then maybe do it better. That's why I did all those meets in, the, in that first year and a half. I was really able to look back and be like, okay, my first meet, I did 100 warm up reps before I went out on the platform. Right. And then, you know, my last meet I did at Nationals this year. You know, I was doing like eight reps before mm -hmm. I met on the platform. You know what I mean? So there's a different kind of quality that you want to have. You got to make those mistakes early on to figure out what's the secret sauce for you. Yeah, definitely. Do you find that the process that works for one person, like let's say the process that works for Maggie, do you find that that tends to be the process that works for most people? Or is there a lot of variation in the way that different people should train? I think there's a lot of uh, basics basic principles that when everybody adheres to them, mo most people get better. And uh, the time where it doesn't work so well is when you've been lifting a long time because you've already gone through that. So your body's been exposed right. to that stimulus before. And it's like, well, you know, I've done that. That's not enough anymore. I need something more. So with, with training specifically, like uh, with power lifting, there's, there's three exercises. So in the beginning, I used to try to work around them and actually not do them that much. Like, well, if I want to squat and get better at squatting, I should probably have stronger legs. So let's really emphasize the leg press in my training. Let's emphasize leg extensions. But I was only squatting maybe three sets. Obviously, it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's, if I want to squat more, I should probably squat more, more frequently. Mm -hmm. So instead of squatting one time a week, I started squatting two times. Then I started squatting three times. Then I started mm -hmm. squatting four times. Then at one point in time, I did a squat every day protocol. I squatted 60 some days in a row. Right. And uh, I was like, hey, the more I would do this basic exercise, the better I got at it from a technique standpoint. And then all of a sudden you'd see progress like this. Mm -hmm. So for most people, that tends to work is actually sticking with the specificity of it. Some people like to make it fancy and dance it all up. But in my practice, success leaves clues. And I've had a lot of people get get stronger by sticking to the main lifts and small variations. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny how many things that's the theme with, where it's just like, 
just master the basics, <laughs> like just do the thing and do it as well as you possibly can. And then do that a lot. Right. I think that's a, I think that's a theme in a lot of things that you want to get better at. And especially in the gym, yeah. I'm curious if there's something you can think of that many people overlook in powerlifting, but that makes massive differences when it comes to strength gains. Like, is there something basic that a lot of people are just passing by that you figured out, like actually makes a huge difference? A couple things. So I, I just talked on specificity. I would say that'd be the, the number one thing is, is do the main thing more. Um, but besides that, the other thing is applying the least amount of stimulus to cause some form of stress or adaptation. So what I mean by that is if you only do the, the barbell bench press one time a week, mm-hmm. and you might do a total of six sets. If I give you three sets on Monday and three sets on Thursday, you're still doing six sets, but your frequency is now doubled. So mm-hmm. your exposure to the exercise is two times. Mm-hmm. I didn't change any weight. It's the same stuff, but you're being exposed to it twice. You'll get better just from having a little bit more exposure. So that's a very small change that you could make. So when I work with people, the first thing I do is I say, what have you done before? So if they're a power lifter and they come to me, I said, what have you, I need to know what you've done before. Well, Chris, I used to, I, I squatted twice a week and then I bench pressed twice a week. And I deadlifted one time a week. Okay, great, good. So we could increase the frequency a little bit or we can keep the same frequency you have and just increase some of the total volume just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, I already did that. I, said, I know, I know. Well, this is week one. We're going to increase a little bit on week one. We're going to see how you feel. And then we're going to increase a little bit on week two. And we're mm-hmm. going to kind of go up like this. And then we're going to go back down. We're going to go up like this and go back down. But if someone says, well, I used to squat one time a week. And I said, okay, we're going right to four times a week. It's too much too soon. And there's the greatest program out there that is four times a week, but it's not for everyone. And it's probably was written for not you. So I always try to apply the least amount of stimulus. I love when people come into the gym after a training session and I'm like, how do you feel? I feel great. What do you mean you feel great? I feel like I used my muscles, but my joints don't hurt. I slept great. Like, I feel like I can pop today. I feel good. I'm like, great. When you're always walking into the gym and you're, and you're hobbling, right? And you got the, you're popping ibuprofens like M&Ms. <laughs> your body has not recovered from yeah. the training stimulus and it's not going to progress that day. You're going to do regressed work anyway. So mm-hmm. I always find that the, the, the smallest stimulus that you can apply to cause a change is the most effective way to go about it. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it very much depends on what you've been doing, which is another just great lesson you're on your own journey. And so you have to take the next step in your journey. This is the same in nutrition as well. People will look and say, they're doing that. Maybe I should follow that plan, but it's individual, right? And you have to think about like, what are you doing right now? And what's, what's that next step? Let's find that next step. So I think that makes total sense. And you could you could adjust it for the personal. Here's two extremes that I, I literally work with right now. So I've got, I've got one gentleman, he works an office job. He shows up at about nine or 10. It's his choice, nine or 10. He stays about two or three, his choice. He sits all day and he tell, I said, what do you do for work? He's like, I Facebook. I said, you work for Facebook? He's like, no, 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 I got another job, but I just have to answer emails. Sometimes I don't get any emails for like two or three hours. So I like, okay, cool. And he wanted to grow in size and he's a chill dude. His parasympathetic is 24 <laughs> seven. I said, so I said, so can you, can you eat like when you're just at work? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, great, good. So calorie surplus, no physical stress, no mental stress. 
He comes into the gym and he's just like, all right, let's go. And, and you can push this guy because he's going to sit and just chill from session to session. He can eat all the time, no stress. Contrast to that, another guy I work with here, about 20 years his senior, is a police officer, does shift work. Sometimes I get a text from him, not going to be able to get my training in today because I'm at the nut house for 24 hours watching someone. I'm like, okay, here's what it is. So then all of a sudden I got to look at his program and I got to drop everything down. Because he is in fight or flight nonstop. He needs to be in parasympathetic to get better. I can't push him like the other guy. Complete opposites. If the, if the two of them were to buy a program online that makes your squat go up, whatever, one would do okay and the other would get hurt. Right. 100%. It really shows the importance of what are you, what else are you doing? What are, what are the other lifestyle factors? Because it all plays into your ability to recover because the magic doesn't happen in the gym, like in the gym. Yes, you do the work, but you break yourself down. You get better when your body recovers and has the chance to build back just a little bit stronger. So if you're not giving yourself that chance, chilled out, you're getting your sleep, you're eating all the stuff. You're not going to, you're not going to see those gains, right? Yeah. And if you're in like, I, I used to be like a bodybuilding nerd. Like I was a fan of bodybuilding. Like when I was a teenager in my early days and yeah. I emailed Ronnie Coleman once and he emailed me back. I'm like, Oh, this is cool. So I always watch a lot of bodybuilders growing up and what they all have in common. I'm talking like Olympia level, like the mm-hmm. pros, the best of the best. They were so chill. <laughs> they were so like, just calm. Like they'd be sleeping all day long on the beach and stuff. So when they had to get like ramped up for their training, they would. But for the other 22 hours of the day, pure parasympathetic, just calm, calm, calm. And that is when you grow and adapt and get better. You mm-hmm. think about it. If you can know anybody, you never see like these crazy like bodybuilders that are, that are going 100 miles an hour when they're not in the gym. They're still doing all these other crazy things. No, no, no. They're sitting around. There's a video of Ronnie Coleman. He, fe- he was eating and he fell asleep between bites. And he wakes up and he eats his grits and he falls asleep. Like that's the lifestyle. If you can do that, that allows you to be really good at what at that specific sport, which is growing. Yeah. You know what? As you're saying this, you are giving me insights into my husband because he's a professional soccer player. When he's not playing or training, like he's really chill. <laughs> yeah. I'm not right. I'm always like, you know, around the house doing stuff. Like I don't really sit a lot. Just cause I, that's just not really my flow. And mm-hmm. he's like hanging on the couch. Right. And yeah. it's interesting. Cause that's, that's a super interesting insight. That might be part of the reason why he can show up to training every day. Cause he trains six days a week. Right. Mm-hmm. He can show up to training every day and ramp up and then go back and do it the next day. Cause the other 20 hours of the day, he's hanging. <laughs> a, a theory I have, a theory I have is that marijuana is used a lot to help athletes extra chill because it obviously can, can work, right? Yep. But I think that that is also for some people, that's where it can be very beneficial. If you can't turn that switch down right. and recover, you might need something to do that. that, that yeah. That's not on my plan. We can't do that as powerlifters, but I mean, in some sports, you always hear about them, you know, that is part of their, their regime. It's like, you might just be like a A-type high stress person that helps you calm down a bit. Yeah, totally. Sounds like yeah. something I need. <laughs> when, <laughs> when warm milk doesn't work, I guess. Right, All right. <laughs> Cool. Um, Chris, I want to talk a little bit about you as a young coach. So if you can think back, how many years have you been a coach? So I, I've been a personal trainer now since um, 2005. Okay. Well, I've been getting paid 
since 2005. That's the first time I got paid. Cool. Okay. So we'll say 15 years of being a trainer. What is a mistake that you often made as a young trainer that now you look back on and you realize that it's better to do things differently? I did the, I did all the mistakes everyone else did, like all the basic ones, right? You know, you look at a muscle and fitness magazine workout, then you give that to a client, but you don't really match the two. Like they're not, it's not meant to be like, that's a standard thing, right? Yeah. You know, I'd have a protein shake on the floor, you know, just the standard, like unprofessional stuff Yeah. yeah. until someone called me out on, I didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't read, I didn't read books. I read training magazines. It was, it was different. Um, but one of the things that, that I wish I would have done early on um, that I do now, and it's always my govern, it tells me when to go and, and back off is I listen to instincts. I have instincts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. instincts may have, have been developed from years of, of seeing things go wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to like, like strength specifically, when a client comes in late and they're, they're rushing and they come right in and they say, okay, yeah, I'm 10 minutes late. Let's just skip the warm up, go right to the bar. I'm like, nope. We are not doing that. We are not skipping our warm up. We're not going right to the bar. We're doing our warm up. And then you're just going to either stay 10 minutes late or we're going to take some stuff out. Why mm-hmm. is that, Chris? Because one time I had a client skip the warm up and she got hurt. And that's on me. Mm-hmm. So now I have these instincts and I always follow them. So when someone says, Hey, should I go up here? Without even like looking at the program or anything like that, I go by my gut right away. So if I get a bad feeling right away, I say, Nope, don't do it. Why not? Spidey sense. Before I've had people like convince me other ways. Well, I think I can't realize. And when I do like the, okay, go for it. Then I get the text a couple of days later, my back feels funnier. I'm like, oh, I should have, I should have stuck to my, my instincts. So now I, I do that no matter what. And I just tell them, I say, I'm pulling coach card here. You're not having more weight. You're not getting extra workout in like instincts big time. And I had them when I was younger but I didn't know what they meant. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I think I'm, all, uh, but now I, I recognize them right away and I follow them to a T. Yeah. It's, it's probably the experience that gives you the confidence to lean into the instincts that maybe were there before, but you just like, yeah. didn't know enough to say yes or no. Right. But now yeah. like you've got the experience and the confidence and you, and you're like, no, I've seen this before and 100%. this is my gut. This is what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. That's powerful from a coach for sure. I think that's, that's what you want to hire a coach for, right? I always tell them, I'll say, this is what you pay me for to tell you to not to do this. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? No, no, no. You don't understand what can happen if you do do this. I said, do do. Um, what can happen if you do this and then, you know, the side effect. So, you know, we don't risk it. The juice ain't worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. We don't do this and you can lift again in two days and you can get better this way. You do this chance of getting hurt is up. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's having that big picture in mind as well. I think, which some people, when it's their own training, they just get very in the moment and you get very excited about the wrong things. And so to have someone that's more zoomed out, that can say, Hey, let me just like recenter you right now. I think is is super beneficial. Okay. When you're lifting, um, this is like my biggest takeaway from when I took the DTS barbell course and it was the importance of setup in lifts. We probably spent 80% on the setup and then we did some lifts, right? It's like setup, setup, setup. Why is having the proper setup so important for powerlifting in general? You can use this with any barbell exercise. The setup leads to the execution. When the setup is off, the execution will be off. If you're not set right, you're not, you're not going to finish right. Mm-hmm. So we we're sitting down and we're brainstorming and we're trying to, to come up with a, a concept that makes most sense. So, you know, the Pareto principle, 
what could we focus on that's going to give the greatest amount of results? So then when I would look at videos, when I'd look at lifters, when I'd look at missed lifts, bad lifts, technically faulted lifts, what was the thing that I'd always see first? Setup. So if your foot's here, the chance of this is now higher. If your elbow's here, the chance of this is now higher. But you never saw like the missed or the bad lifts when the setup was all good, or you'd see it at a very minor level when, when just the weight was too heavy. Right. Yeah, so it's always like the setup first. So if we could focus on everyone being set right in the beginning, the chance of success is now significantly higher and it creates auto-regulation or motor engram for the brain. So when you practice something again and again and again, you don't have to think about it. It just becomes auto-regulation. And a good example was I had a, I have one gentleman I've been training for years. He's, he's a good friend of mine now. We're at a meet and the coach stands about 15 feet off to the side in diagonal position where we were. And he goes up to bar to the squat. So opening attempt squat. So he walks up and he's got his routine, right? Left shoulder. He's got his thing, right? And he walks it out. And I noticed right away, the bar wasn't centered on his back. It wasn't centered on his back. So I think this was 440. It's a lot of weight. So right away, I yell at him. I say, racket, racket. So he walks in. He goes like this. He steps out. He starts over. And he comes out and the bar is and He does his lift. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what was off. Mm-hmm. but he knew I saw something that was off. And because in the gym, when the exact same thing happens during training, if he's off in the setup, I say, racket, start over. Because we practiced it, when he's there, it's game day. When I yeah. say it, it's auto-regulated. He knew what to do and he went mm-hmm. back to his setup and it was all good to go. So because he was set right, he could finish right. So it just increases your chance of finishing lifts and then also allows the auto-regulation. Yeah, it's the mental prep, like the mental hand here, hand here, and now I'm ready. That little just like routine that you have, just like you're saying, right? It, it sets you up to be like, I'm good and I've got this. It sets off that motor pattern. And, and you see this in, and you see this in sport all the time. Professional mm-hmm. athletes at any point in time. Your husband's a soccer player. I'm sure he does a little thing before he throws the foot or a head fake, right? Mm-hmm. Basketball players, the free throw line. They all have their one, two, whatever their thing is. They've got the routine. But if you went up to a, a LeBron James and was like, hey, switch your feet like here at your next free throw. I'm LeBron James. I can't even do that, right? It might throw him off a little bit. So if it's good enough for the professionals, it can be good enough for our clients. So would you recommend that people who are lifting create some kind of little routine, even if they don't have one for themselves, like deliberately say, okay, I'm going to go right hand, left hand, I'm going to get under the bar, I'm going to lift, step back, step back, or something like that. Do you, yeah. do you coach people to do that? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And we, um, we practice it in the gym. And um, even in the barbell course, we would talk about um, the order of the setup. Mm-hmm. So on the squat, it's going to be like your hands first, your shoulders, your elbows, you're going to synchronize your rib cage, your brace, all that jazz, like in order. So it mm-hmm. becomes, I don't add the flair. I got some girls that like to snap the hair, ponytail out of the way and stuff. I got, I got one guy, he spits when he walks out, he goes, he's spitting. No, I never taught him that. That's his own thing. <laughs> but you know what? He does it every time. Yeah. Yeah. So when he's not spitting, something's off. And we know right away, it's like, are you bracing hard enough? What's going on there, right? right? So, and then once you see these people do these things again and again and again, you can tell when it's not going to go well mm-hmm. and you can call it. And in the sport or in the gym, it's easy to say, racket, start over. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty good. That's the reason to have the coach that's there and that knows you and like has that instinct. That's, um, yeah. yeah, that's really so I, important. I'm going to tell you a little story here. And um, I like to practice what I preach. So at last year's nationals, so 2019 nationals in, in Ottawa, 
I'm getting ready to go out and compete and lift and squats the first exercise. And I wear these wrist wraps around my wrist when I squat because I put the bar kind of low and it just puts a little pressure. So I put the wrist wrap on, makes it all good. So I'm there with a couple of friends of mine. They're helping me out. So you get ready to go and the bar is loaded. When they say bar is loaded, it's like go time. So when they say to me, bar is loaded, I grab my wrist wrap. I go right, I go left and I walk out. They're like, bar is loaded. It's like 530 pounds. So I go to my guy and like wraps. Because his job was literally just to hand me the wraps. And he's like, I look at him, I see his eyes go up. And he left them in the warm-up room, which was, you know, around the corner. So he takes off sprinting. But in the sport, we only have 60 seconds to actually start the lift. So I'm on the clock. So he takes off running. I'm like, oh, well, here, here we go. Walk out. I still put my hands where they go. I still did my thing. I walked out. It was different because I didn't have the wrist wrap. Mm-hmm. But I've practiced holding the bar there for so many years it didn't matter. I was still able to do it. And I did the lift and I, and I got off and I come back and he's got them and he's really upset. And I'm like, man, don't worry about it. It's, it's no big deal. But he was like super, <laughs> he thought he just ruined everything. I said, no, no, I've been putting my hand on a bar for, you know, probably 20,000 hours. I've been doing this stuff. Like I figured it out. It doesn't, I don't actually need that little piece to finish it, yeah. but it was just auto-regulation and I didn't freak out because I've, I've done it before. Mm-hmm. It's like that idea of when you have something planned so much to a T, it actually allows you flexibility to change it because you're like, good. I know everything else is set. I know this one little adjustment, but I've done it a hundred times before I plan for this, but I can make that, I can make the switch because I have the structure. Does that make sense? I feel like that's totally a thing that when, whenever I'm planning something like, let's say I'm running a webinar. I've got my structure to a T, but because I have that structure, it allows for me to, if something goes over by five minutes, I'm like, cool, something else will come out. I've got this. But without that overall structure, I would be like so unsure of how to proceed. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You gain some experience and you can adjust as needed. So I'll actually coach. I will actually put in training for some people, the attempts, attempts they do in their warmup. So let's say someone wants to squat, um, 150 kilos. That's 325 pounds. So we're going to work up to 150 kilos and they normally go 75, 100, 125, 150. I might go 75, 120, 150. I'll write in the program. And I'll be like, Whoa, like, why are these crazy? Like, what are we doing this big jump for and stuff? And I said, well, let's pretend we're at a meet, we're at a competition and we're warming up and on the rack we're warming up on all of a sudden, instead of four people sharing one rack that we're used to in some competitions, there's eight. Mm. So the lifting starts in 10 minutes. There's eight people to get their warmups in. We don't have time to take the six of warmups that we normally do. So let's practice if that scenario happened. I want you to get your warmup weight in three sets instead of six sets. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll, we'll practice that in the gym so that when it happens at the competition, They've done it before. They've prepared. They've been in that situation. And what a difference does it make? So for an experienced lifter who's practiced that, or they've done a lot of competition, the day of the meet, if something is off, no big deal. They're they're good to go. But sometimes newer lifters, everything is so routine, but they've never had the experience when something got thrown off before. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you throw one thing off, they're thrown off big time, like big time. So the psychology of the sport kind of comes into play there. And you, you, can, you can mess with people sometimes like from a, a coaching perspective, just throw a little thing at them um, if they were not prepared for it. And I've done that too. Yeah, it's almost like over, like if you're a beginner, over-reliance on 
the little steps and thinking that that's actually what is making you successful. And you have to have the experience to realize those are the steps that we do, but I've got it even if X, Y, and Z happen, right? And and powerlifting is so unique because when you're in the gym training, you're in control of every variable, every variable in the gym you're in control of. But when you get to a competition, you are not. You're not in control of the speed of the event. You're not in control of the, the way people load the bar for you. You're not in control of the referees when they tell you to go and not go. Like those are variables that you need to practice for. Um, but other sports, you always practice what those variables, like in like your, your husband, a soccer player, he's playing, he's practicing against other people. So he knows what happens. So power thing is, is very unique like that. And when you can teach mm. someone to not assume everything will be the same as the gym, they'd be much better off come meet day. Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, so let's say that you're stepping up on the platform for a lift in a meet. What's running through your head? Do you get nervous? Are you calm and collect, cool and collected? What What's in your head at that point? I don't really get fired up. Like, you don't see me as a guy, like, hooting and hollering, slap me in the back, you know, call my wife ugly. Like, that doesn't really fly. It doesn't work for me kind of thing. So I'm very, like, cool, calm. I'm in the back room. I tend to joke around a lot. But when it's, when it's go time, like I'm in the zone, like I'm in like, like gamma brain waves, like I am ready to go, but I don't look it. Mm. And I, I think that is just because I have a routine. I have a setup. I can visualize the bar. I can feel it on my back. I can smell the chalk, right? Like I know all these things and I get pretty excited. That's all on the inside. You don't <laughs> see me hooting and hollering and stuff. So I was at one meet specifically and at that meet, I had the biggest squat of the day for like the, the mini weight guys. And I come out and I smoke it and I turn, I look and these lights come on. Red lights means the lift wasn't good. White means it was good and stuff. And I look, it's, it's personal record for me. And I look, I see these three white lights. Everyone's cheering. I'm like, yay. Like, this is what I did. And I walked off. I was really happy on the inside, but I was like, yay. So sometimes I might throw a clap and a whoo, but I don't really, I don't get like exactly fired, but I am on the inside. Like, mm-hmm. You could throw a beach ball inside of my face. I'm not going to feel it. Like I'm, I'm focused on the zone. And what's really cool about it is I don't have a lot of flexibility in strength. And what I mean by that is if, stuff, if one thing's off, I'm weak. Like mm-hmm. everything goes, goes down. So I got to be on and I know this. So if you've ever seen a photo or a video of me lift, my face goes really red. And that's because I create so much tension in my body. It protects me. When I don't have that tension, things go and I'm not stable anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm very aware because I've been there before. So when it's go time, everything is, it has to happen. If not, I know the lift's not going to go. So I'm very dialed in mentally. It's a really cool thing because as soon as you get done, you do the lift, you rack the bar, you turn, you see the good, the lights and stuff. It's just like, everything comes down. You walk off and then all of a sudden, like nine minutes, it's go time again. You just feel it go up and then go down, go up and go down. I can't really like call on that at other points in my life. It's not like you're doing the dishes at home and then like Maggie's texting me like those dishes done. We got to be leaving the house and fight. I can't like turn it on and then start cleaning a lot faster. It just doesn't happen. But in lifting, I can really just turn it on, turn it off when I need. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's cool. It's funny. It reminds me of, this is a very random connection, but it reminds me of um, one time I watched my wedding video back. And when I was walking down the aisle, 
I was like, looked so chill on the inside. I was like so much emotion freaking out. I thought it probably looked like I was sobbing. I just like barely was tearing up. It's funny how sometimes our internal world doesn't match what people see on the outside. And so I think one thing I've learned as I've talked to more people and as I've learned to present is like how to make those things match when you need to, right? Mm -hmm. Powerlifting obviously is not a situation where it matters. But yeah, it's weird how, how mismatched those things can be sometimes. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a similar skill set in life. Like you said, like you're doing presentations. So when can you turn it on? When can you turn it off? And mm-hmm. you can't be turned on all the time. And you can't be turned off all the time. People yeah. feed off your energy, whether you got it or you don't got it. One of the benefits of working for, for Good Life Fitness over the years is in the beginning, we used to have these big um, like company meetings and stuff. And I would show up and they would say, hey, Chris, would you, would you do a little talk on this, on this topic? like talk to who well you know everyone here the 350 people here and they're like yeah yeah i'm like um i don't have anything prepared like oh don't worry about it. we'll ask you the question just 10 minutes so i would literally be thrown up there and they would ask me to talk on a certain topic so it was sink or swim mm-hmm. right so i you know i tried to swim as best as i could and in the beginning just because i was thrown in i had i had to do that and then i realized over time these memes would come up i'm like I bet they're going to get me up there and say something silly again. So I just was able to handle it more and I would able to turn it on. And like I said, like at a, at a competition, I'm in the back room. I'm usually like joking around with people, even in a presentation, the same thing. It's a Chris, would you talk? And I would always like grab the mic and be like, yeah, these guys didn't have anything else to, to, to talk about themselves. They didn't do their homework. So I'm going to take over. Right. Like just a little, a little jab or a little joke here and there, but it also would allow me to, that would be my dial in mode. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do my thing. Yeah. Pretty cool with that experience. Also like this, when you're just thrown in, you got to learn, right? You learn the skills, you learn quick too, versus like, if you had time to prepare and really think about it for weeks, you wouldn't have learned those skills as fast, right? There's no way. Kevin's done that to me so many times and it's made me a much better presenter per all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I got, I got it. Him and I were supposed to go uh, to, I think Sudbury and teach a course, DTS level one back in the day, him and I were supposed to go. I think it was four days we we're supposed to go up thursday to sunday so on tuesday night he texts me he's like hey i can't go so oh is it canceled he's like no 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 like can you go can you run it yourself and i had only maybe done 20 percent of a course at that time wow and i remember being like kind of like i'm not sure if i can and he literally said something along the lines of like sink or swim i said all right let's tread water yeah. And I just went there and for four days, I, I just went into with that mentality that this will probably be the hardest it'll ever be. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's also a phenomenal opportunity. It's either going to make me better, or make me worse. And I'm willing to take the risk because the worst ain't even that, that bad when you think about it. Right. Oftentimes in those situations, it's like, what are we really afraid of? You know, even if the worst happens then you're fine, like you're going to walk out of it. It's going to be okay. Right. Sometimes the worst ain't that bad when you, when you think about it. Yeah, exactly. Chris, when you look back at your career in powerlifting and as a trainer, what are you most proud of? Well, for, for powerlifting specifically, like it it was kind of cool. Like I I represented Canada in 2014 um, at the world championship and I didn't walk home with any medals or awards and stuff like that. I finished actually pretty at the bottom of my class, but it, it felt really cool just to have like a Canadian jacket on right and say like you represent a country like we're not pro athlete or anything like but just it felt really cool so the first time that happened I thought that was that was a really 
cool thing. And I was younger into my, in my career as a, as more of a lifter and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, as a coach, it happens all the time when someone like, I'm not the type of guy that gets impressed by someone who lifts, you know, a thousand pounds and they started powerlifting and they were lifting 800. I like the people that when they started lifting, they were here and then they got to here, mm-hmm. not from here to here. And that can happen at, you know, if you're, if you started, you know, 65 pounds on the bench press and that's your, your one RM and then you put some time in then all of a sudden you get to 70 and to see someone get really excited about that. I love it because I know exactly what it means. You had a goal, you put the time and the effort in, you followed the system and you got the result. So when people are getting that result, I know exactly how that feels because I started down here, right? And then I, I built myself up over time. So I can share that experience with them. So too many times I've just had a lot of um, powerlifting clients who would just say something along the lines of, I never thought I could get, I never thought I could be this. I never thought, I never thought, I never thought. I said, yeah, that's right. You didn't think, I thought you could. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before. And now we can share that experience together. So like from a, a powerlifting coach, that was always a, a, a real nice thing to get. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've done in competitions from a coaching perspective is, is I've had people before who were not favored to win. They were, they were looked at as you're, you're not that strong. You're going to be like third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is. And just through the, the game day of coaching, we've manipulated a few things. It threw off some of the competition. Then we, you know, we place higher, we win. Handful of times when people would be like, well, who won? I'd be like, oh, so-and-so won. They're like, how? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Because sometimes you can, you can do things where you can throw off opponents when you pick numbers, like you can pick numbers for your guy or your girl lift. And if they're not paying attention, you can then adjust those numbers last minute and, and change those things around. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a strategy, you know, when you get up to that, when you're, you're fighting for medals or you're fighting for, you know, national spots and, and things like that, you can, you can do that. And I love that. I love that aspect of it. Uh, so for me, and I'll do a little, like I'll be at a competition. I'll walk over to another coach who's coaching someone who's competing against who I'm coaching. I'll just walk over and I'll just like lean over their shoulder and look at their whiteboard, whatever they're, what are they planning for that client? Oh, okay. Like I'll do, <laughs> like, I'll do that all the time. I'll have conversations with them and stuff. They'll be like, Hey, so someone's looking really good. I'm like, ah, she's got a back injury. We're probably not going to do anything big today. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, surprise. I'm like, Chris, what the hell is that about? I'm like, well, it's kind of the game. It's part of the sport. So I, I love, I love that aspect of coaching. And um, it's always for me on the inside. I laugh the most about it and no one else really shares <laughs> it with me. Even my, even my wife's like, oh, we're not putting those numbers. I said, we're putting those numbers in. Trust me on this. You'll win. It'll work out. And then as for like um, uh, professionally, like when it comes to like working as a, as a trainer, it's funny. Like I get, I get recognized by the name because like with Good Life Fitness, I'm a level seven. So mm-hmm. I'm the only level seven trainer, right? So I always find it really funny when people will meet me and expect much more of me like I'm not tall I'm not tall I'm not jacked right I'm not tan like I don't have all these these attributes so when somebody meets me for the first time they're always like oh you're you're Chris and I'm like yep and I think it's kind of funny but what happens on the other spectrum is sometimes people think I'm way more than I am and they'll say things to me like um you've inspired me like I've been called a legend before and, and my wife loves that. She loves hearing that. Not, but I like to point right. that out to her. Right. I'm like, Hey, I made it. I'm a, I'm a meme at good life now. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I get to share that, that with her, but actually being um, uh, 
uh, when people just reach out to me for PT advice and stuff like that, like that's a responsibility that I, I, I'm very lucky to have. And mm -hmm. I've made a handful of mistakes in the years so I can always weigh in on what not to do. And I've made some good decisions over the years too. So when people ask me for advice, I'd like to help them. Yeah, I love it. You just nailed something that I love. The, the thing that I love and really resonates with me as far as being a coach is when you watch someone do something they didn't think they could do, that is a cool thing because their beliefs or their limiting thoughts about who they were, or what they thought they could accomplish, all of a sudden they're shattered. That moment that you do the thing that you couldn't do before or that you never pictured that you could do, it's powerful. And it translates to things outside the gym. Like, honestly, I think that that's sort of my why of being a trainer and also the reason why I train. I train because it's the process. The process proves something to me about getting better than I was before. And it continually pushes me to think differently about the things outside of the gym as well, which I think is, is the best part about fitness is the way that it, it permeates into everything else, you know? Yeah. Everybody goes into fitness for one specific goal, but they don't realize they get so many other things out of it. Right. But it is really like, um, it's an example of what life can be. Yeah. You go to the gym to better yourself from a physique standpoint. You do a little bit of work effort. All of a sudden you get the right work, the right effort. You get the right result. Next thing you know, you're like, Oh, I could do this in other aspects of my life. And I, I love that about sport. And I think sport is so good for, for, for children, for kids anyway, because they, they kind of get that. If it's a team sport, we work together collectively. We get a W or we do something where we weren't, we weren't so good and also we're doing better at, then they see the process. If it's an individual sport, you practice, you train, you get better, you, you see the process. Yeah. And that's life. Like that carries over into life. That's it. That's exactly it. Awesome, Chris. Well, um, we're coming up in an hour already, this flew. Thank you so awesome. much for sharing all of this with us and for all of your stories and insights. Is there anything before we sign off that you want to leave the listeners with? I'll leave the listeners with maybe happy Monday. <laughs> stay, <laughs> stay, po stay positive in life. Stay negative in COVID tests. I guess that's all I got. There we go. I love that. I love that. Awesome. Um, Chris, if people want to potentially get in touch with you, find you on social media, how do they go about doing that? Uh, on, on Instagram, I'm at C the fudge, the letter C, C the fudge. And uh, from an email, you could always email me at uh, first and last name, Christopher.fudge at goodlifefitness.com. And I'm on all the other social medias too, just under my regular name, Chris Fudge. So Fantastic. that's where I'll be. Fantastic. We'll get all that linked up in the show notes. Thank you very much, Chris. This Thanks awesome. so much for having me. Of course. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on how do you feel. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.